Well, hello. I'm back here with episode number 13 of the podcast edition of It Really Does Matter. And I'm David Ansel, the podcaster on this podcast. And yes, it has definitely been a while, but I'll tell you that time's really gone by quickly for me. You know how people are. They have a baby and then they kind of disappear for a while. And I guess that's just what I did. But hey, there's no complaints here. I mean, it's just really neat just watching the little guy go from the newborn stage to where he just suddenly starts to coo. And then you start to see him smile. And then you start to hear him laugh. And I mean, we heard him laugh really suddenly one night. Yana and I were together just like, hey, what's that noise he's making? Oh, he's laughing. Oh, wow. And it really was nice. It really was so cute. And I never thought I'd be so fascinated by a baby, but I guess now I got my own, I really am. But today I've got a topic you may have heard some other people weighing in on, but I wanted also to talk a little bit about the video that went viral on YouTube about the guy who says that he hates religion, but he loves Jesus. And it's not something that I had never heard before. Because to be honest with you, that's something that a lot of evangelicals will talk about is that how, hey, this isn't religion we're pushing. Hey, this is Jesus Christ. And they often use this as a means to distinguish something that's just some arbitrary thing that some people have from the real truth of Jesus Christ. Now, in the case of this guy that posted the video, it appears that he has something more against something more organized and structured, like against a church, than he does really contrasting some kind of arbitrary system, which I guess maybe in his mind, church and having an actual structure is arbitrary with that faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe in some ways it's kind of hard to tell where he's coming from. And there are all kinds of variations of what I might call unstructured Christianity or people who want to get away from any kind of rules or hierarchy or anything, any kind of thing that may have the appearance of a system. Yet, is that really the way of God? And if you look all through Scripture, it clearly is not. I mean, if you look even from the Old Testament when God was giving Moses the law, he gave a lot of specific instructions on the tent of his presence and what was to be there and how worship was to be conducted. You know, God had an idea of what he wanted done. And being God, he has that right. And this certainly was not, as the guy on the video asserts, something that Jesus was trying to abolish. He says in the Sermon on the Mount that you can find in the Gospel of Matthew that he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. But clearly, Jesus founded a church. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. He gave the keys to St. Peter. And he's clearly establishing a new covenant. And as the song says, that all the old rites have ended and newer rites of grace prevailed. The very Eucharist. He is instituted. And I would say that for someone to 
assert that he'll have nothing to do with those arrogant and self-righteous people in the church, well, that in itself is an arrogant and self-righteous statement. I might add also that if you were to look at the first letter of St. Paul to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 15, it calls the church the pillar and foundation of truth. Now, another statement that the guy makes in the video is that religion is the cause of wars. And this is kind of a common statement that people like to use against the church, and particularly the Catholic church, that we're just responsible for so much evil But I want to propose a different point of view. Now, you can find some information if you look. It seems like there's a lot of people that don't realize that there's a whole other side to the story on what happened during the Crusades, the Inquisition. There's a lot more than we've heard in uh, United States high school history classes. But instead of me trying to rehash all that, which I'm not really a good expert on, I want to ask a question. What do you think any of the people who did do wrong would be like if we didn't have the church do you think they would have just been nice people or do you think they would have done some of the things that they did anyway and the fact is we do have people in history that indeed didn't have the church and had their agenda they wanted to promote remember adolf hitler how about stalin and the communists how about the french revolution the people running this were not by any means religious and in fact were very anti-religion, and you look at what they did. They had no restraints of any kind, so while the people in the church may not have fully embraced and listened to what they should have by the faith, it's far more dangerous not to have any, because far more people were killed in these secular revolutions than by anything that people in the church may have done. No, the faith, if anything probably kept them from doing worse. Now, with that being said, that brings to mind a very important danger of trying to have the me and Jesus spirituality or even trying to make of worship what we want because we have the danger of becoming our own God. Or, well, we can't really do that, but of trying to be our own God, I guess you could say. You see, worship is not something that we devise, that we then change at will, even though there's a lot of liturgists around the Catholic Church now who are trying, but rather it must change us. We receive it, we recognize it as what God wants, and we let it transform our lives instead of transforming what we do to fit our lives. When people try to tell me that the church is irrelevant to daily life, well, where's the problem? It's our daily life, not the church. Further, it means that we can just try to just ignore any part of the faith that we might find a little bit too difficult for us, and it may be the part that we most need. So it's very important that we have the magisterium, definitive teaching of the church, However, I will tell you that the gentleman in the video did get one thing right that we really all need to be aware of, and that is our faith is not primarily about our search for God, but it is about God searching for us. You see, God is the initiator of our salvation. 
We didn't suggest to God that he send his son. God did this willingly. We didn't ask Jesus to die for our sins. He did this on his own. And even before we can ever believe in and ever love God, first, he loves us. And with that, I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about an often misunderstood topic. Does it matter that we obey rules or laws? Welcome back to It Really Does Matter. And now for my second segment of this show, I want to talk about a topic that I would consider to be very important and something that is very much misunderstood in our day and age. And the best way I can think of to describe it is the way I've most commonly heard it. We don't really worry so much about obeying the law. It's really love that matters. And... Honestly, that is a very big time misunderstanding and it creates a false dichotomy between law and love. Now, there is a sense in when you can say that there's a difference between love and just obeying the law, but I'll try to explain that. I also heard a Catholic speaker say something that also was really interesting. He was trying to say that a man that's obeying the law will not commit adultery because it's wrong, but a man who loves will not commit adultery because he loves his wife. And there is a truth to that. But the problem with a statement like that is that how does one know that adultery is incompatible with love of one's wife if he doesn't also know that it's wrong? Even though we all do have a conscience that might tell us that in this day and age our consciences tend to be very dulled and without the law we might not realize that and jesus himself when he came did not abolish laws in fact one of the first things he said in the sermon on the mount in matthew is that he did not come to abolish but to fulfill and that's what he did he did not make external conformance unnecessary he made it insufficient For example, he said, you've heard that it was said that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I'm saying to you that if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, then he's already committed adultery. I don't think too many people are going to argue that Jesus was saying, hey, it's okay if you commit adultery as long as you don't look at the woman lustfully, as though that were possible anyway. But Or Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, do not kill, but I tell you that Whoever's angry at his brother is liable to judgment. He certainly did not mean that it was okay to kill somebody as long as you weren't angry at him. So God does have laws that we do need to obey, but God's laws are really just a love letter for us. He knew that we were wounded by original sin, By the way, what is love anyway? Is it just thinking nice thoughts about someone or feeling nice feelings about them? No, love is much more than that. Basically, love is not in opposition to the law. It sums up God's laws. And anyone who tries to tell you you can love better by breaking God's laws 
is basically doing something that is part of the lie that Satan has told from the beginning. When he first tempted Eve, he comes up to her and he says, did God really tell you that you can't eat of any of the fruit of the garden? First trying to exaggerate big time what God said. God actually was a generous God who wanted to give them everything except what he knew was not good. And, of course, Eve said, you know, this is the only one we can't eat of and we'll die if we do it. And Satan says, oh, no, you will not die. And it's the same with someone who thinks that breaking God's laws is a way to love. Now, there is a sense, though, that through growth in God's grace that we can obtain a freedom from the law, but understand that this doesn't mean, as Christopher West would say, if you've ever heard his Theology of the Body talks, it's not freedom to break the law. Rather, the law just isn't a constraint because you don't want to do anything against it. So, in that sense, the statement is true that a man who loves doesn't commit adultery because he loves his wife. Or, you know, doesn't commit murder because he loves his neighbor. And then doesn't even want to do those things that are wrong. The law was not necessary before there was sin because there wasn't the tendency that we call concupiscence before there was sin. But also, there is one issue that can happen with a lot of concern about the law, and it becomes a kind of legalism that leads to minimalism, especially with our fallen nature. We may not actively think, hey, I'm going to do the minimum that I can do to keep myself out of hell, which is a bad place to fight the spiritual battle, because if you fail, then guess where you go? But we do have to be careful that we don't fall into this, and that we realize that we're not so much looking for a bunch of rules, but a mentality. In fact, you see some of these rules examples in a lot of older moral theology texts, which can be very helpful But, for example, there was one that I read in a book that some people have considered that if you are more than an hour away from a church on Sunday, then you would not have the obligation to go to Mass. But what can you say of the love of God, of someone who is sitting there plotting on a map and cheering that, hey, I don't have to go to Mass today? Instead, we need to have that mentality that God deserves everything that our worship is something that we owe to him and that we should freely give out a love and that even if it's inconvenient for us, we should do it. I've also seen some books that say that if you do, say, two and a half to three hours of manual labor on Sunday, it's a mortal sin, otherwise it's a venial sin. And you just imagine someone saying, okay, I'm setting the timer for two hours and 15 minutes and then I'm just going to do this. What does that say for that person's love of God? Number one, they're willing to commit venial sin, and committing venial sin predisposes someone to do something more serious. And secondly, where's the mentality? It's almost a kind of loophole mentality, and with love, you just don't have loopholes because it's not just a law, but it's obedience and love. So instead of looking for a list of activities that you can or cannot do on Sunday, we have the mentality that we should put all of our business aside. And if we really don't need to do it, then even if it's inconvenient to put it off, do so out of love for God. We also 
can see a potential for some kind of legalistic minimalism when you have, say, an unmarried couple that will say, hey, how far can we go? And chastity speakers point out that that is the wrong question. Rather, we need to look at ways to share chaste affection and do that which is most honoring to the other person and not just trying to obtain everything we can and as long as we technically obey the law. That's where the difference lies. The rules of morality haven't changed at all. If anything, they've been deepened. Just as Jesus deepened the commandment that not only can we not commit adultery, but don't even look at a woman lustfully. Not only don't kill, but don't be angry. Not only keep our promises, but be so honest you don't need to make promises. That's what Jesus was saying. One more example is the commandment, hey, thou should not steal. And instead of just not stealing, we should be developing a mentality of respect for the property of other people to the point to where we don't, as Yana, my wife, would say, screw things up for everybody else by doing even something as simple that may not even be strictly sinful, like taking two parking spaces if you can help it, realizing you need to leave that parking space for someone else. So bottom line is there is a sense that love is above all, but none of God's laws are violated, rather they're deepened. We develop that mentality that seeks us to grow greater in virtue and that doesn't leave any room for loopholes that we can exploit because that's not what we want to do when we love. Anyway, that's all that I have for today. It's been good to be able to get behind the microphone again. If you want to contact me, you can go to my website at www.davidansel.com. My last name is spelled A-N-C-E-L-L. You can find me on Twitter at C. David Ansel, and I'm also on Facebook and Google+. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.